think New York City, but times four, because we have four large metropolitan areas, Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio. Stopping the trend of the disease in this moment might be like trying to stop a two-mile-long train or turning around a transatlantic cruise ship. It might not happen quickly. Juan Gutierrez is the chair of the mathematics department at the University of Texas at San Antonio, and he spent this pandemic creating complex models that predict COVID trends for every county in the United States. But his best data and his main focus, Texas. We are going to see an increase in cases. If that growth remains unabated, if it keeps growing at the pace in which it has been for the past few days, we are going into hundreds of thousands of cases for every metropolitan area in Texas, which is not very different from what happened in New York in March. After weeks of negotiations with the city of San Antonio and fighting through institutional red tape, Gutierrez finally gained access to important data. He then created a COVID trend model for San Antonio and the Southwest. And right now, the forecast isn't pretty. Doing what we're doing right now in the city of San Antonio, we're headed to a quarter million cases of COVID-19 by the end of summer. Quarter of a million cases. We just passed 10,000 cases. That's an increase of 2,500% over about two months. Now, certain things can happen that have a big impact on the trajectory of the model. We've already seen some of these things happen. The first one is the first declaration of emergency before we had widespread community transmission. This was uh, March. There, the infection curve stays reasonably flat. Uh, the second one was uh, May 1st, when businesses were allowed to open at 25% capacity. Okay, so five days later, the curve starts to change. And remember, the typical incubation period of this virus is 5 to 14 days. So five days after we allowed businesses to operate at 25% capacity, we started seeing an increase in community transmission, like clockwork. Right. And that repeated later in May when capacity was bumped up to 50%. And then bars open. Then Memorial Day weekend. And now we're here. So we just saw a round of emergency declarations around Texas. You might have gotten an alert on your phone. I did. Some areas are implementing new mask orders. And the governor, well, he closed down bars again. But those actions might have been too little, too late. It might not have been enough to flatten this now rapidly rising curve. If it didn't, then we have to brace for a very hard hit that we're about to receive in Texas. From Texas Public Radio, this is Petri Dish. I'm Bonnie Petrie, and today, The Surge, Texas in Crisis. The health department, the task force came in last night, gave me a warning, and they're supposed to be here tonight. And if they find anybody, customers, they're gonna find the
This isn't a typical start to a game of bingo, an announcement about masks and health officials, but these aren't typical times. They're pandemic times, and this is the new normal. Some people do have their masks off while they munch on their popcorn. If you're sitting at your table and eating, yes, you may have your mask on. But they do have to remask as soon as they finish their mouthful. At all times. So normally, as you enter the hall, you walk to a window and you get your bingo card after you hand over some money. But now you also have to hand over something else. Just have a fill it out. Your full name and your phone number. Let me fill yours, Hapita. And then the bingo hall has to hand over a list of names and phone numbers to the city's public health department. This new policy is a reaction to a surge in COVID-19 cases and an overwhelmed hospital system in Laredo, a border city in South Texas. It's one of many Texas cities, large and small, watching their COVID cases spike. More than 40,000 Texans tested positive for the virus in the week leading up to July 1st. More troubling, though, is the surge in hospitalizations. On July 1st, nearly 7,000 Texans were in the hospital with COVID-19. And hospital systems across the state are saying they're under extreme stress and reaching their limits. Hospitals in Laredo are among them. This week, the entire hospital system in Laredo hit capacity. But capacity is a moving target. It's calculated by looking at a combination of things. Beds, ventilators, medication, personal protective equipment, and people, doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, and other critical care professionals. It's in that last category, people, that Texas is coming up short. So if you just walk up to the hospital, you might not be able to tell how much actual stress the staff is under. Ambulances come and go outside the emergency room, but it doesn't really feel chaotic. The chaos is hidden. And as you enter the main hospital away from the ER, the feeling is one of control rather than chaos. It's the ER. That's where the chaos is. This sudden surge of COVID patients, it's too many patients too quickly for the staff to handle. I talked to a doctor there. Uh, his name is Ricardo Cigarroa. Texas Public Radio's Maria Mendez visited the doctor at the Laredo Medical Center. She wanted to dig deeper into Laredo's capacity problem. It was an issue of not having enough staff. They had 20 hospital beds in the intensive care unit, but they were only staffed for about 14. Our nursing programs here in Laredo can't produce them fast enough. Many that are that uh, graduate uh, move on to bigger cities uh, for personal reasons, uh, whatever. They want to go to San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, see the world. 
this is a statewide issue. Texas doesn't have enough nurses, but in Laredo, the problem is worse, and COVID-19 has had an impact on staffing. A lot of staff were actually scared you know, by these uh, near-death experiences of one seeing patients, you know, die alone in the hospital. It is very frustrating to see our very sick patients in the intensive care unit, and I'm talking in March when we had nothing, and not be able to do anything other than support them with a ventilator and breathe for them and watch the virus destroy the lungs, one organ system after another, and the death would take 30 to 60 days. And two, a lot of them got sick, and so they themselves had those experiences. We had over 150 employees, physicians, nurses, housekeeping, cafeteria workers uh, that were infected early on, and many of them became critically ill. So our intensive care unit for COVID was filled with employees and family members of their employees. So a lot of them have struggled to return to the hospital or to the COVID-19 units. And so that's really hurt the hospital capacity as well. So COVID-19 has directly impacted Laredo's already short-staffed healthcare system. But cases declined in March when Laredo took swift and decisive action. The city had a cluster of deaths within a span of days. And so the city was, uh, you know, rapidly rushing to try to deal with this new outbreak that nobody really knew. And so they were actually the first city to require face masks. So after reopening most businesses in the state at at least 50 percent capacity, COVID cases started surging and suffering under the weight of all these patients were hospitals like this one in Laredo, which had already been forced to start transferring patients to San Antonio. And that's a whole nother issue because it's difficult to transfer COVID-19 patients. Every city is having their challenge right now. San Antonio finally hit its surge, Houston. Um, so everybody is, is trying to deal with their own. And us being 150 miles from anywhere, we have to move more quickly uh, to be able to expand our capacity here. Right. And San Antonio itself is creeping ever closer to capacity. Laredo will have few options when that happens. So let's go more than 300 miles to the east, to the fourth largest city in the United States. It's also in crisis. Of course, we're talking about Houston. Just like the rest of Texas, the, the, the cases of COVID have really surged, but not just COVID cases, but also hospitalizations, which is really putting a strain on the hospital system. That's Sarah Willa Ernst. She's a Houston-based health reporter with the Texas Newsroom, a statewide public radio collaboration. She's been talking to lots of doctors there about this surge. Here's Dr. Rashina Bassett. Uh, she's an ER doctor associated with the Baylor College of Medicine. You know, when we started admitting adult patients to our children's hospital because we ran out of space, that's when it should have been clear that we have a problem. And the certain patients also means that there is a lack of beds in the hospitals, uh, which has led some ER doctors to see increased wait times for patients. 
we had patients that we wanted to admit to the ICU that were boarding in our emergency department for hours and hours at a time because there were no ICU beds to put them in. So we're definitely feeling the bed crunch down in the emergency department. Almost every doctor I spoke to said that research has shown that increased wait times in the ER lead to uh, an increased rate in mortality. Here is Dr. Jennifer Carnell, uh, an ER doctor associated with Baylor College of Medicine. I've talked with colleagues in New York. I've read the accounts in Lombardy, Italy. I, I know what happens. We know that it leads to increased mortality. Last week, the Texas Medical Center was reporting capacity at 100%, which every ER doctor I spoke with said that makes sense. That's matching what they're seeing on the ground. But afterwards, they ended up backpedaling on those numbers. Um, Administrators deleted graphics about bed capacity from the Texas Medical Center website. Here's Dr. Mark Boom. He's the CEO and president of Houston Methodist. The time now is to be very alarmed about the spread of this virus. Um, But instead, it became a story about, hey, we don't have ICU beds. And that's incorrect. Boom and other leaders argue the focus on capacity is a distraction from any efforts they might make to mitigate the spread of the virus. But wait times, they're still crazy high, as Houston Fire Department Chief Samuel Pena told Houston Matters. Hospitals may have room uh, or capacity, but I'm not sure uh, it's not translating into quickly transferring those patients from the ER into the other floors to make room for for the continuous flow of patients that we're bringing in. There are backups and bottlenecks throughout the system, no matter how many beds there may be. Because remember, beds are just pieces of furniture unless they have equipment and staff around them. And that's the rub. The doctors I spoke with are suspect that these additional beds are ready to go, but rather that they're more like hypothetical beds. COVID beds are actually really particularly resource heavy. They require isolation. You know, these patients can't cross contaminate with other patients that are COVID negative. One doctor I talked to said that her biggest fear is that she won't be able to take care of her patients, that that Houston might see the kind of emergency New York faced in March. Um, That was Dr. Jennifer Carnell. And it's horrendous. It's horrendous to for people to live through that, to have loved ones die. It's horrendous to be in a hospital working in that situation. If Houston only saw 50% of what New York saw, it would be too much. Hi. Sorry, thank you. No problem. Let me uh, get your temperature and then... We're at the Regional Medical Operations Center in San Antonio. All good? Yeah, I'm just going to put this anywhere. I'm talking to Eric Epley. Yeah, and so this is your first pandemic, right? (laughs) It is indeed my first pandemic. (laughs) So this is a learning experience, isn't it? I think everybody's uh, working through learning on the fly. We call it um, building the plane while you fly it. Epley is the executive director of Southwest Texas Regional Advisory Council, STRAC. He coordinates the emergency healthcare system for a network that includes 53 hospitals all across South Texas. Much of that area is rural, and San Antonio is the center. Capacity's tight in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, It's incredibly tight. So how long can we go at this pace if the number of cases doesn't start to abate? 
It is unsustainable at some point. We can't just keep keep increasing at 10% every day for six months. It's not going to, it just won't work. But I want someone to tell me what unsustainable means. What does that look like? It means we could have a situation where there aren't enough, there are more patients than there are hospital beds. That's what unsustainable means. Okay, but I think people have a hard time picturing that, right? You know, it's it's just like we couldn't picture a pandemic before it happened. We couldn't picture what the shutdown would be like before it happened. I can't picture what more people than hospital beds means. Can can you draw me a picture of that? Uh, honestly, you know, it's sometimes a little hard for me to fathom. To be fair, I've, I'm 54 years old. I've grown up where there's always been a hospital bed. It's been crowded, but there's always been a hospital bed eventually. And so I think all of us are struggling to figure out what that actually looks like. So when hospital systems become overwhelmed, is it accurate to say that people um, people die unnecessarily? I think that's accurate. So to get an even clearer picture of what that looks like, we decided to go back in time, but just three months, and visit Elmhurst Hospital in Queens. Of course, New York was the epicenter of the fight against COVID-19 in the United States back then. I think most people prepare for, uh, you know, it might be a, a large influx of patients on a given day or a large influx of patients oh, for a day or two, but you don't expect to see a huge influx of patients, that the majority of whom are very, very sick, and that it just keeps happening, and it's happening every hour of every day for close to two months for us. Dr. Stuart Kessler is the director of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Elmhurst Hospital Center. All over New York, they ran short of beds and ventilators and PPE and all of the things we now know we need during this pandemic. And then there was the strain on the people, the healthcare workers. We, we would have people working five and six days in a row and we would give them off a day or two and they would call and say, you know, do you need me to come in? I'll come in. There was just sometimes nothing we could do. So we saw we saw a fair amount of patients that died and probably more patients that died than we had ever experienced in any of our careers. Um, so it was mentally difficult. It was um, physically difficult and it was um, emotionally difficult for people. And even though strict shutdown measures did finally get things under control in New York, Dr. Kessler says this probably isn't even close to over for them or us. You know, this is probably still all part of the first wave. I don't think this is the second wave. Hopefully people will recognize that and and try to stay apart for a little while longer because it, when they don't, this is the result. So here we are, the surge in Texas. It came later than we thought it would, but it's here now. We're all now on that two-mile-long train our mathematician Juan Gutierrez talked about at the beginning of the show, and we're just pulling on the brake with all our strength, trying to get this thing to slow down. But why are cases surging now and not back in April or May, as earlier models predicted? Us. 
That's why in March, we all started behaving like there was a deadly virus lurking outside our homes that wanted to kill at least some of us. So we made smart decisions. We stayed home. We washed our hands till our skin cracked. We didn't touch our faces. We kept our distance and we hashtag flatten the curve. You know, many of us started doing all that before the state mandated it. And then we stopped. And now the surge has come for us because of our choices. But the thing about choices is this. We can make different ones starting today. There's no shame in it. We now have good data on masks. They help reduce transmission of the COVID virus. And as of Thursday, they're required by the state if you live in a county with more than 20 positive cases. Listen, I hate my mask too. It fogs up my glasses and it makes me sweat for some reason, but I wear it because I am a bioscience and medicine reporter and I am moved by data and the expert analysis of the people I talk to all day every day to act in the best interests of my daughter, my community, and myself. So I wear a mask. Please wear your mask. And special thanks to Texas Public Radio reporter Maria Mendez, Texas Newsroom reporter Sarah Willa-Ernst, and Houston Public Media reporter Andrew Schneider for their contributions to the show this week. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by Dominic Anthony Walsh and Michael Trevino. Our sound engineer is Jacob Rosati. Our executive producer is Fernanda Camarena, and our news director is Dan Katz. This podcast is a production of Texas Public Radio. I'm Bonnie Petrie. Talk to you soon.